Thanks for downloading this episode of the Shoestring Tackle Podcast. Subscribe today to find our show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and always at shoestringtackle.com. Now, on to the show. Every time we get ready to play, I just want to throw up. Uh, my office is at 250 North Washington. Anytime you want to meet me there, you call me back on the air, you tell me what time and when, and I will whip your ass. You just witnessed something I don't know that I've ever seen in my entire life. They just called that team the winner. And then, whoa, 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 Come on back here. Then they called us the winner. I'm going to tell you right now, as an experience, damn it, I'm going to enjoy that one as much as I hate to admit it. Illegal contact. Senkutsu elbow thrust. Oimowatsu roundhouse lunge kick to the quarterback. Takatami answer block to the... Shit, never mind. 15 yards. First down. The question isn't what are we going to do, the question is what aren't we going to do. We don't fear nobody. You know, Richard Sherman wanted to get out there and line up against us. We wouldn't throw away from him either. That's Florida State quarterback Jameis Winston. And as you can tell from that soundbite, a sense of supreme confidence by the Florida State starting quarterback. And I guess you wouldn't expect anything more. Welcome to the Shoestring Tackle podcast alongside Bleacher Report feature columnist Brandon Meller. I'm Ryan Pensy. The preview edition of the 2015 Rose Bowl between Florida State and Oregon. The winner will go on to the national championship game to be played in Dallas on January the 12th. And we'll take on either Alabama or Ohio State. We're recording this actually on New Year's Eve. The uh, the new New Year's Six Bowl games uh, have already uh, begun. And Brandon, it really got off to a, a quite a wild start as TCU just absolutely annihilated Ole Miss in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. I'm not sure that anybody really saw that coming in, in, in the fashion that they were able to manhandle the Rebels. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Oklahoma obviously is, is not as, as good as they have been, and they've had their struggles, and, and that's well documented that Bob Stoops, you know, it's, it's not the same program it was when, when Florida State went there, you know, uh, multiple years ago and got, got their doors blown off and, and all that good stuff. But for Clemson, I, I you know, it, it's crazy. It, it, it really, if, from a Florida State perspective, it truly makes you appreciate the fact that Florida State beat Clemson this year because that Clemson defense is nasty. And Brent Venables has done a terrific job. You know, he was under a lot of scrutiny when he first took over there after leaving Oklahoma to go to Clemson. You know, that, that Clemson defense was still not very good, and there was questions about his job security and whether or not he was going to be able to kind of make his make his mark there. Well, he has turned that into one of the best events in the country, and Florida State beat that team. And I don't, you know, I don't know if you would, especially considering that Jameis Winston did not play in that ball game. I don't know if you would have, you know, if you could say those teams would play again with Sean McGuire at quarterback and FSU would win, I mean, just with how good that defense is playing. And the fact that FSU got by this Clemson team, and the fact that now this Clemson team is going to lose most of the players off of that elite defense for next year, it, it just really, it, it's kind of mind-boggling how that all worked out for Florida State. There's some, some good luck on their side. But, you know, Clemson, give them credit. They, they did what they needed to do. Good representation of the ACC. That's the way Clemson needs to play every game. Uh, because they recruit just as good as anybody in the entire country, they have their pick of prospects. We, you know, we know they go into the state of Florida uh, and get their guys, and, and obviously they got some, some NFL, you know, caliber guys that are ready uh, to go. That you know, who are on that team ready to go to the next level. So, uh, you know, good job by them, and and way to completely just erase that memory of four years ago when they, uh, when the last time you know when they went down to Florida and played in a bowl game and had West Virginia do the exact opposite to them. 
Yeah, and uh, it, it certainly has been a decent uh, start for the ACC, and I would even kind of put Notre Dame into the ACC category. They came up with a big win over LSU last night. You know, All eyes, though, will be on the Florida State Seminoles who are riding this long winning streak into the Rose Bowl, and we have heard from numerous members of not only the coaching staff but also players who, for the most part, have been unavailable this season. We have known since Jimbo Fisher took over the program. The only time that you hear from assistant coaches or coordinators is at the uh, beginning of the season at media day and then leading up to a bowl game. So this was really the first time we've had an opportunity to hear from Randy Sanders or Lawrence Dossey or Charles Kelly leading up to this Rose Bowl game. It'll be interesting to see if they're able to get past Oregon, what we'll hear from them going into the national championship game next week. But in all of the the different uh, interviews and press conferences, you know, I mentioned at the start of this podcast, Brandon, that there is a, a sense of confidence not only from Jameis Winston, but it really seems like from everyone that they have put in front of the podium. You know, Jimbo Fisher even talked about that today, is that he notices a difference between his team last year to this year in terms of all of the media scrutiny. And there has to be something to be said about that. This team seems very calm. They seem like they are ready for the challenge of taking on, you know, this Oregon team that, that amasses, you know, 46 points per game offensively that you know racks up over 540 yards per game but, but you don't sense it at all that Florida State from a coaching standpoint or from a player standpoint is in the least bit concerned about this matchup would you agree yeah I totally agree and I think it I think it's because of a couple different factors I think one you're talking about this is the winningest senior class in the history of Florida State football they, they've strung together more wins in four years than have ever occurred and that says a lot obviously so you've got guys who are winners they've only lost a handful of times so they are confident going into each and every game that they know what it takes to win you got guys like Rashad Green and Nick O'Leary who you know are two of the most clutch players in all of college football and, and they're together on the same you know offensive unit and, and not to mention you got Jameis Winston, who has never lost a single game in his career at Florida State. So you have this, this culture of winning. You have this culture of competition where true freshmen are beating out seniors to play because they're the best players at, at that time. Uh, you know, it's just the absolute best 11 guys on each side of the ball are playing on each snap. And, and I think that breeds that, you know, just that, that it just breeds that, con- that competitiveness between these guys. And, and when, when you face that every day at practice, whether you're practicing in Tallahassee or practicing in Southern California for a week, and you go out there and you have to face off against guys who are elite players, it, you know, looking across the line of scrimmage at Oregon is is not that is not as scary as maybe it would be to to you know to or you know if you're facing somebody else, you know, it, it just it, it the whole culture that Jimbo Fisher has set up uh, has obviously helped, and then it also has helped that this team has has been there and done that. They've been to California. They've played in this. You know, in this game, while it wasn't exactly the Rose Bowl, it was the next step up. It was the same venue as for the national championship a season ago. They did all the exact same things they're doing this week in terms of, you know, the different requirements they have to take part in and, and going to restaurants and going to this and going to that and being on camera and running through these gauntlet of interviews. It's, it's you know, it's it's old habit for a lot of these guys. And then you got some of the new guys who, you know, like like Roger Johnson and, and Dalvin Cook and, and, the, and Travis Rudolph, these true freshmen who weren't on the team last year, who just have just kind of just filter right in seamlessly. They, they've stepped in, and, and you wouldn't think that those guys are, are guys who were in high school a season ago. And that's a credit to, one, the fact that they're smart guys, they're good football players, but two, they've been brought into a fostering environment where they're supported. And, it you know, it, again, it just goes back to what we've been talking about for the last couple of these podcasts, and it all starts with Jimbo Fisher and why he's worth five and a half million bucks, uh, you know, a, a year. And, and it, you know, it's just the culture that, that's there and, and – 
uh, there's a reason that they've won this many games in a row. When you look at it on the defensive side of the football, and we'll talk both offense and defense, but defensively, you know, to me, there seems like there's a lot of pressure, at least from the fan base, um, on Charles Kelly as the defensive coordinator to put together a great game plan to try and go out there and slow down the reigning Heisman Trophy winner in Marcus Mariota and another 10 guys that are going to be out there on the field with him that can make you pay anytime that you snap the football. And I would say myself personally that this has been really kind of a bend, don't break team this year defensively, and that's fine. But I don't know that I have that same level of confidence that I would have going into last year's game with Jeremy Pruitt as the defensive coordinator or the year before that when you had Stoops and company. I, I don't know what it is, but there are some concerns there. And I think maybe rightfully so that you can do the types of things that you did defensively and kind of play to the strengths of a Boston College or to a Louisville. You can't do that against Oregon. If you do that, you're, you're going to get hurt and you're going to get hurt bad. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree with that too. And, and you know, it, I, I understand. I definitely understand that with Charles Kelly because, you know, think about this guy. He had to follow Stoops and he had to follow Pruitt. You're talking about two of, in, at least in, in terms of the now in college football, are two of the preeminent mo- defensive minds and have had a ton of success. We know both of their resumes. We know what they've done. And here you got Charles Kelly, this, you know, this longtime position coach and really – he only had experience as a DC as, as an interim for, for Georgia Tech for half the season. And here he comes in this year, and, and Florida State's defense is a significantly has dropped off from a stat standpoint and from a from an output standpoint for what they do against teams. And so there's this there's this kind of this kind of like this dark cloud that maybe hangs over his team a little bit when when you talk about on field and, and the matchup and having to face an Oregon team, because hey, we think of Oregon, what do we think of? We think of high flying offense, we think of Marcus Mariota. Running with you know, running, making plays with his legs. He's so good at throwing the ball on the run. They've got in, in, you know, just incredible talent uh, and speed, you know, at, at receiver and at tailback. And, and so yeah, you're you're concerned that this defense is going to struggle. But I think for me, and I just asked, I just did a, a radio interview in Orlando talking about this game and previewing it. And I, I think for me that the difference maybe now will be that this team is healthy for the first time all season long. You've got now Lawrence Stample back, which is huge because. He was your Timmy Jernigan replacement. You know, he's he's not Timmy Jernigan, but he was the closest thing you had to it. You need that guy. It's been a revolving door of guys trying to figure out who could replace him since he went down early in the season. He's back. Terrence Smith is probably as close to 100% as he's been all season long, and you need Terrence Smith to play at his best because he's he is, pound for pound, he's your best linebacker, and he's your most consistent linebacker. You need him. He's healthy. And then overall... You know this just this, this team as a whole, offense and defense, is you know the the health level is up, and so they've really benefited from this time off. And, and I think they're catching Oregon at the perfect time. I, I don't think this team would stand a chance against Oregon any other time during the season except now. Uh, and so maybe that you know maybe that ultimately is the deciding factor for this one is that Florida State is healthy, and, and while Oregon on the flip side has battled with some injuries, they you know they lost uh they, you know they lost an All American corner, they they their center is banged up, and, and you know he might be able to go, but maybe he's not 100. percent so, you know, this, this is the perfect time for Florida State. I don't, I don't think they could beat them any other time uh, during this entire season. Jimbo Fisher said today at his kind of final press conference leading up to the game that, that he believes this game will be one up front, and the biggest key will be keeping guys fresh defensively, and that uh, to beat Oregon, you're going to need to get personnel in and out very quickly, and, and they need to be fresh because, as we know, Oregon wants to run a lot of plays. When you look at their kind of balanced attack, they're putting up big yards through the air, but they're putting up big yards on the ground as well. You know, they're averaging 308 yards through 
through their passing game, 237 on the ground. I mean, this is a, a very dangerous team. And that, don't take anything away from Florida State, but, uh, but this Oregon team is by far the best team that FSU will have played up until this season. And I, I guess, to me, I've said this for weeks now, whoever played Oregon, if they got in, or Oregon themselves, whoever wins this football game, I believe has a great chance to win the national championship. Because I don't think this game will be nearly as physical as Alabama and Ohio State will be, because both of these teams are going to try and score a lot of points. So it, what we have seen, at least which was a good sign for Florida State in the ACC championship game, was they came out and they started fast. They started very quickly. On the season, that hasn't really been the case. You know, FSU's only scored 79 points of their 452 in the first quarter. They've got to get off to a fast start. They cannot be waiting for the second, third, and fourth quarters to try and play catch-up. They need to come out, and they need to at least match, if not kind of out-duel Oregon right from the start of this football game. Yeah, and, and Jameis Winston can't throw interceptions. That, that's the biggest thing, and uh, you know, I, that's it's funny to say it because you, you know you don't want to question him because you know he's you know him and Mark Mariota would you would consider obviously two you know two of, of the best players in college football, and you know it, it, he has to protect the football. And and I know Florida State's been able to win these games despite you know Jameis's you know his his uh, all of a sudden this this propensity to you know to commit turnover something he did not do all season long last year. Uh, Florida State has still won those games, even though he's done that. But I, you just you can't do that against Oregon because you know Oregon is going to score off those turnovers, and that was always the biggest difference for Florida State in these in these wins. Was when Jameis would throw a pick, FSU would get the ball back somehow, or there'd only be a field goal that would result from it, or, or you know it just it wouldn't truly be as as damaging you know to Florida State overall as it could be. Well, against Oregon, you absolutely know they will score if Florida State can, turns the ball over, especially if it's on a sh- short field. They're just too, too powerful and too good on offense. So James Winston has to have the game of his life. Uh, doing so would mean a, a multitude of things. One, it would potentially solidify him as the number one pick in the draft. I think I think with a huge game, and if he out, outplays Mariota, I think that the off-field stuff gets kind of pushed aside for, for, for my Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Maybe this is just wishful thinking, but uh, he, he's got number one pick on the line. He's got opportunity to to maybe kind of squash some of all you know some of all these doubts you know that have, that have surrounded him all season long as, as people have have kind of deferred to Mariota as as the new best player in college football. Uh, so there's a lot there's a lot riding for Jameis Winston uh, tomorrow, and, and and as we've seen in the past, he's at his best when there's a lot on the line. So. I'm really anxious to see how he plays because it, it almost seems like, uh, you know, with, with with what he has in front of him, that we may see the best we've ever seen of James Winston. Hey, I thought this was a, a pretty good quote that came from Brock Heward in uh, this week's edition of ESPN Magazine, talking about James Winston and his young wide receivers. Quote, Winston's whole game is being lights out when it matters most. One reason for his 17 interceptions, his freshman skill guys don't play as fast as he does. Film shows that he tries to anticipate and throw his receivers open. They just aren't ready for it. I don't disagree with that at all. And I think that uh, you could probably go back and really break down the film and see that that has been the case this year at times. And, and granted, Jameis deserves you know a fair share of the, of the blame as well. You know, He's been the one that has thrown those interceptions and hasn't maybe developed that gel with guys outside of Rashad Green and Nick O'Leary, which leads to my next question. Who is that guy, or who are the guys? Is it Travis Rudolph? Is it Jesus Wilson? Is it Ermin Lane? Who has got to step up if Oregon is able to to slow Green and O'Leary down? Which of those young guys comes through big for FSU tomorrow? 
Yeah, I, th- I think you look at Travis Rudolph because we we've seen what he can do. We we've seen the flashes. We've seen the potential that he has to be. You know, maybe that 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 next coming of, of Rashad Green as, as his career progresses. He looks, you know, he plays the game a lot like him. He's they're they're built similarly. Uh, you know, they they look like you know they look a lot like each other on the field. So I I, I think that Travis Rudolph is going to be a key player in this game. But you know, Jesus Wilson too. I mean, he he is he's the number two receiver on this team. And he has consistently dropped passes this season. He he's been a liability, and you know, and he's made plays. He he's had good, you know, he's had his good moments, but he's had far more, you know, negative plays than he's had positive. And it's like you go back and some of this stuff, and you think, man, if he had made this catch here, if he hadn't dropped this, you know, maybe this is a a game where Florida State isn't rallying in the second half, and so maybe they you know going to the breakup by ten. You know what I mean? So it, it's one of those things where both those guys, I think, there's a lot of pressure on them to, you know, to to really play well because you know Oregon. You know what they've seen, and in, in, in just as Florida State has had all this time to prepare that Oregon offense, Oregon has had the exact same amount of time to get ready for this FSU offense. And we don't talk about that FSU offense a whole lot because we get so caught up in the Oregon offense and what they can do. But this is an FSU offense that we know is one of the best passing teams in the country. And then, ever since the Cam Irving switch to center, has been has been re, you know remarkably better at running the football. So you know Oregon Oregon knows who to shut down. They know that Nick O'Leary, Rashad Green, and Dalvin Cook are your three primary weapons that Jameis Winston's going to get the ball the ball to. So if they go out there and try to shut those three guys down, Carlos Williams need to step up, Travis Rudolph, Asus Wilson, Erman Lane, if he gets his opportunities, you know, these guys need to make plays. And, uh, you know, this is going to be a team thing. This isn't going to be just one of those games where you can rely on Rashad Green to make a play later or Nick O'Leary to, you know, come up with one of those one-handed catches he's so good at making on third down. So uh, we'll see. These guys got to play well. You know, we talk about Marcus Mariota being a, a fantastic passer, which he is, 3,783 yards, 38 touchdowns, just two interceptions. But he also does it on the ground. He's rushed for over 669 yards, and to put that into perspective, he's rushed for 60 more yards than Carlos Williams has for FSU. And he's got four more touchdowns rushing. He's got 14 touchdowns. I mean, this guy, he can do it both ways. So FSU's defense is going to need to be prepared for that. And you've got to play smart when it comes to trying to defend Mariota. But also, you also have to prepare for Royce Freeman, who's one of the better running backs that's out there. He's rushed for over 1,200 yards this season and 16 touchdowns. That's a formidable kind of force when you look at those two players that FSU is going to need to prepare for. What What is the key? Is it taking a little bit of that mindset that you had against a Georgia Tech when you're playing the triple option, knowing that you have to play your position, you have to play smart? Because Mariota not only can hurt you with his feet, but he, he also certainly can hurt you with his arm. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's it's kind of like a pick your poison kind of thing because you don't want to get too caught up in playing against a highest winning quarterback and one who's as dangerous as Marcus Mariota and who can beat you in a multitude of ways because that's the thing, you know, you get caught up in it and you just said it, you, you know, this team has got a lot of good players and a lot of good receivers. Royce, I mean, Royce Freeman and Dalvin Cook are both freshmen and and they are two of the better running backs in the country. And they're squaring off against each other in this game. You know, Royce Freeman is. You know, ultra talented, and he's a guy you have to shut down because if you go out there and you're just keyed in on stopping that quarterback, you know they're gonna, you know this this Oregon offense knows exactly what defenses are gonna throw at them, and they know how to beat it. So uh, you have to be prepared. There's just there's so many weapons, and that's why I think this is gonna be a high scoring game, uh, and it's gonna come down to whichever defense can make a play or two uh, that will you know decide the outcome. How big is it gonna be for FSU specifically? to not only go out and convert on, but also to stop third down conversions. When you look at it, this is a uh, an FSU team that has really struggled this year on stopping third down conversions. Just 43% of the time are they able to do that. And that's going to be key. Not only is it winning first and second down against this Oregon team so that you don't give them those manageable third downs or 
for that matter, even fourth downs. We've seen Oregon has no problem going for it on fourth down. But you've got to do what you have to to try and put them into a position where then you have an opportunity with guys, maybe it's a Jalen Ramsey or a Ronald Darby or a Tyler Hunter or others to come up and make a big play because maybe you get into the head of Mariota a little bit. You know, he has seemed almost robotic in the interviews that he has done leading up to this game. I mean, it doesn't seem like there is any difference between the Marcus Mariota we saw during the season compared to the guy that we're seeing right now. And something has to be said for that. I mean, he's gone through the same gauntlet that Jameis Winston went through last year, really just minus a week because he's playing right now versus Jameis playing you know, a week or so later last year. But he seems to be very composed going into this football game. And it'll be interesting to see if that translates the same on the field as it has kind of in this media circus leading up to this game. Because, you know, you mentioned it before. Jameis didn't look the same last year in the first half against Auburn after all of that Heisman hype. And, you know, FSU fans have to hope that maybe Marcus Mariota is just even a little bit off uh, going into this first half uh, when FSU and Oregon take the field tomorrow. Yeah, I mean that's that's why the 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 curse of the Heisman is is, is a thing that people talk about, and uh, you know Marcus Mariota had to go through, you know he had to run the gauntlet, he had to do all the stuff that Jameis had to do a season ago. You're you're jet setting coast to coast, you're going to award shows, you're going here, you're going there, you're talking nonstop. Uh, you know, it, I saw Mark Helfrich, you know, specifically said that he, you know, he was pleased that, that Marcus Mariota got an opportunity to go home to Hawaii for Christmas and kind of came back refreshed. Uh, so the fact that the coach was mentioning that was obviously it was something that was a theme going on with him. It's not just not just you know media talk. It was actually uh, you know if the coach is saying you know he benefited from getting away and getting home for a little while, you know that it was a grind. Uh, now, did does all that matter? Now we'll see. I mean, you know, Marcus Mariota is obviously one of the best players in the country, and you know he won the Heisman for a reason. He's he's as good as it gets, and uh, yeah, you got you got to stop him. And you know that's why I, I I don't know if if I've ever looked more forward to a game than this one because. You know, you're getting two Heisman Trophy winners against each other. You're getting the potential first and second overall picks in this draft against each other. You're getting two high-flying offenses against each other. You're getting two teams with great uniforms. You're getting two teams. It's just it's like this matchup that we've been waiting to see for a long time. And oh yeah, the reward is that this is a do or die, and you get to go play for a national championship as well too. So this is going to be awesome. It's in the Rose Bowl of all places. We were there last year. We know how awesome that venue is. Uh, and, and it's just going to be an amazing backdrop, and, and I can't wait for this thing to get going. Let's get right down to our, our game projections, and I'm going to set the table with this. ESPN only giving FSU about a 34.5% chance of winning this football game. That is based on uh, their football power index. Uh, I saw that uh, Dr. Ed Fang, who collaborates with Bleacher Report to come up with uh, an algorithm to determine outcomes, he get, it's even less. He only gives FSU like a 22% chance of winning this football game. Yeah, I would have said maybe in the, the off time that I would have thought, hey, Oregon's going to be a big favorite. The way that they play, no problem. They're, they're probably going to win this football game. Maybe this is finally the time. But after listening to these players, after listening to these coaches and hearing that sense of just calm confidence that FSU has, I think FSU wins this football game, and and, and I, I don't know that maybe it's not even going to be close. I think you're right. I think Jameis comes out and puts together the best performance that he has had all season long, but it's not going to be just that. FSU's defense is going to have to come out and play their best football game of the season as well, almost like they did against Florida where they had to pick up and carry Jameis when he had a poor game. I think you're going to see it on both sides, and I, I just hope that they don't use it all up this week with really the, the biggest game of the season coming up in Dallas 
for the national championship. Do you think I'm crazy here? Have I just have I listened a little bit too much? Am I drinking too much of the Kool Aid here to think that FSU could go out and maybe beat Oregon by I don't know ten two touchdowns? I mean, is that out of the question? I don't think so. I mean, I know, I know we're, we, we both, you know, are, are homers to a degree. We worked at Florida State. We went to school at Florida State. We lived in Tallahassee. Uh, you know, we, you know, there's, there's this element of, you know, you want to, you, you, you know, there's, there's a rooting element there, but I don't think you're crazy I, I, because I'm, I'm right there with you. And I think that if you really start talking to some people, I think they would kind of agree too. And, and the fact that this FSU team is battle tested, all of the, all of the faults it had a season ago are perceived faults. That, for, that people said hadn't going into that Auburn game where, of course, they couldn't win a close game if need be. They've only blown out teams. James Winston hasn't played a whole game all season, this and that. Look what happens. Florida State has to rally and win on the final drive of that game to beat Auburn and knock off the SEC on top of the College Football Mountain. So ever since then, this team has been a team that's had to rally, and it's a team that has had to find ways to win. And these guys are winners. I, I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. You're talking about the, you know, uh, you know, these guys have won more games in a four-year span than anybody ever has at Florida State, and it all starts with the leadership. It all starts with Jimbo Fisher, uh, just just the mindset there, and, and, and that's why I think that going against a high a high-power team like Oregon, they're going to get their points. This is going to be a, a it, both teams are going to score in the 40s probably, uh, you know. But I, I think Florida State comes out on top in this one, and I think it ultimately just comes down to the fact that this team knows how to win. It's ingrained in them. It's a culture. They don't know any other way. And, you know, this time we get healthy has, I think, been the, the most the most important storyline going into this game as well. It, you know, and, and I'll leave it with this because I think this is the key. If FSU turns the football over, scrap everything that I said because yeah. I, I think that Oregon will punish FSU if they come out and turn it over. And I don't care if that's Winston, if that's receivers who bobble balls that are then intercepted, or if that is from the running back pool. If FSU turns the football over at the rate that they have this season, they will get beat and beat soundly. So I'll leave it at that. And again, we won't know that until tomorrow, but that's where that's that kind of one situation where we talked about the guys who are battle tested and who have been there, the Winstons, the Rashad Greens, the Nick O'Leary's, even a Carlos Williams. Hey, those guys know the, the, the stature of this game. But guys like Mario Pender and Dalvin Cook and Rudolph and others, Hey, this is a huge game. This is the Rose Bowl for crying out loud. And you're going to walk out there on the field, you know, and, and you know what's at stake. And so you just hope that that these guys are as focused as Jimbo gets these guys ready for week in and week out. And, you know, only time will tell. We'll have to wait and see that we do know that the winner will meet the winner of the other national champion or the other semifinal game in this college football playoff. It's between Alabama and Ohio State. And Brandon, we're not by any means going to spend as much time as we did talking about that game um, as we have on FSU versus Oregon. Just certainly don't have the the folks who are wanting to hear that or, or the time to spend on it. But I, I wanted to get your take on this game. And how do you feel FSU and, and Oregon, are they looking ahead at all to these teams? Are they thinking about potentially who might come out of this game or is that just too far off right now yeah i think it's too far off but we do know that florida state has already begun scouting both teams and that's part of their due diligence to get ready because of the quick turnaround for you know a week later if they do win so jimbo fisher said that as much today that you know he credited the, the support staff for, for getting that that law laid out so the second this you know th- this is not a celebratory thing tomorrow if florida state wins the second that game is over you immediately turn your attention to paying attention to who wins you know in the, who wins in the sugar bowl and then 
you know, formulating your plan after that. So I, I don't think they're looking ahead, but they're definitely cognizant of what's going on. I know everybody wants to see the Alabama-Florida State game, Jimbo versus, versus Nick Saban, finally. Uh, I think we're in agreement. We'd like to see that, too. But, you know, I, I think this comes down to, for, for Alabama, I think I think Lane Kiffin is the difference. We've seen what he's done. He's made that offense dynamic. He, he's brought out the best in Blake Sims. I mean, nobody would have ever predicted Blake Sims would have been the guy. It's supposed to be Jacob Coker, and, and Lane Kiffin has got the absolute most out of him. He's still got the best receiver in the country, and Amari Cooper there. You know, Ohio State's very good, but... You know, I think this Alabama team is just is just uh, you know that they have that defense and now you've got that that dynamic offense with Lincoln and I think that's too much for for Meyer and company. You know, I, I look at this game and I wonder in some ways if Ohio State doesn't kind of have and it's cliche and we say it too much, but maybe that team of destiny look a little bit. I don't know that there's any other team in the country that could have withstood the injuries at quarterback that Ohio State yeah. has and still come away unscathed. And, and granted, hey, the Big Ten was a wreck this year and Ohio State did what they needed to do, but they continued to progressively get better as the season went on. Now we've only had one opportunity to see, you know, their starting quarterback and, you know, Cardell Jones might come out and and prove us all wrong. Maybe that they weren't the team. Maybe it should have been this TCU team that we saw put on a clinic today against Ole Miss being in their spot. But if Jones comes out there and puts together a great game plan, and if they play with this big chip on their shoulder as to this team that thinks that, you know, nobody's giving them a chance to come out and win this football game. I could see Ohio State hanging around. I mean, let's not forget, this is a coach in Urban Meyer who has been there. He knows how to win national championships. He took this Ohio State team to an undefeated season during their year of probation. I don't think that uh, that it's unheard of to think that Ohio State couldn't win this football game. There's something to me about Alabama playing in the Sugar Bowl at least the last couple of times that they've been there where they just really haven't shown up and played all that well, especially last year when they got boat raced by Oklahoma. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I mean, this is a team, and you know you know, Meyer is worth every single penny that, that Ohio State is, is paying. We know he's one of the best coaches in the country. We've seen that he's had a tremendous amount of success since he, you know, since he took that, that year off and then uh, you know, since he left Florida and then went there. I mean, obviously he knows what he's doing. They've been able to stand the quarterback you know, issues uh, you know, it, it's, yeah, I mean, they, they're a really good football team. They deserve to be in this position. And, it, it, you know, you're talk, it, it's just another great game. I, I mean, this this playoff is, is, is set up so beautifully, this first ever playoff, with four teams that you want to watch play. Each has their own unique storyline. Each has their own unique, you know, kind of niche that you want to see how they do and how they play. So, you know, either way, whoever whoever wins in Florida State or Oregon, yeah, maybe that's maybe they're the the, uh, the team that you you consider maybe to be the favorite to win it all, but they got to go through Ohio State or Alabama. Man, you're talking about you have to win some serious serious games to can't you know to, to claim this national championship this season. That's what it's all about. That's what this was all set up to do was to really test these teams to make it entertaining for the fans to to make it uh you know the, this highly contested affair. And I think that's what we're gonna get uh, tomorrow, and I I can't wait. Chips are gonna be ready. Burgers are gonna be ready. Tons of beer is gonna be ready. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, what's your uh, what's your semifinal beer of choice tomorrow? Oh my goodness! Yeah, uh, to, tomorrow uh, the beer of choice. Actually, I have a I have a whole I have a whole uh, setup of, of beers tomorrow. They're all I'm going all Virginia beers. Okay. Uh, we, we've got we've got a multitude. In fact, let me I'm gonna grab one real quick. Uh-oh. I'm setting I'm, I'm stepping away from the mic. I like this. I've got a I, I've got a I've got a personal new favorite at the moment uh, for me, and it's it's uh, it's called Damn Lager. Uh, Sunken City Brewing Company here in Virginia. So uh, we've got plenty of those on tap, ready to go, uh, and, and just 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 a nice uh, a flowing uh, kind of atmosphere 
uh, for these games. So uh, I, I know you're in, in a great spot to have some good stuff, too. So what do you got? Yeah, I actually probably need to make another run. I've only got a few left uh, down here in the basement. Uh, I've got uh, the, the Left Hand Brewing Company, their Polestar Pilsner, yep. which is uh, just fantastic. They've also opened a new brewery in Boulder, um, Fiskin. Hold on a minute. You just look. Let me look, too. Hold on. I mean that you know it's 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 just it's beautiful that the two of us live in two craft beer meccas in this country, and I think that's that's an underlying theme of this podcast. You're gonna get some great sports analysis, a great you know obviously an FSU theme here, in what we're talking about. But you're gonna get some beer talk too. When you live in Northern Virginia, where I live, when you live in Boulder, where you live, uh, we have access to some of the best craft beer in the country, and uh, it, it's it's really a nice feature. Uh, to to have this to kind of add to our overall uh, game viewing uh, uh, experience. So I had read about this brewery in uh, the weekly newspaper uh, that they publish, which is just a real independent here in Boulder. And it was talking about how cool the brewery itself was. Now, the brewery is called Finkel and Garth. There's only four people that work there, but they say that uh, one of the things, I haven't been there yet, but I, I have had their beer. And the one that I have right now is actually an oatmeal milk stout, which is fantastic. But, oh, man. um, What's interesting about it is they they print all of their labels in-house and put them on the cans independent. So it's as fresh as you can possibly get this beer. I don't know if this has made it to the East Coast yet. This is still very, very small brewery. But, you, but you're right. I think you've got to uh, you got to spend some time with these local independent brewers to, uh, to really have a great sense of, of game day. I mean, this is what it's all about, right? I mean, this is... Hey, Absolutely. We were in college. We had our fair share of the PBRs and the Bud Light and the Bush and, and others. But you know, now when you're at a little different stage in life, you're going to sit down, you're going to cheer on the Knolls or any other team for that matter that you may root for as a listening interest. You need to have something decent to, uh, to, to wet your whistle. And, and that's, that's the types of things you're going to hear about here on this show. And we can continue week after week. To, to go through the cooler aisle, I mean, this is not like hitting up your local Circle K anymore. I mean, these are these are fine craft beers, and, uh, and uh, hey, I wouldn't want it any other way, and I know you wouldn't either. I, I, I'm, I'm in agreement. We are in agreement, and it's just, it's been, it's been a nice, uh, nice addition to, uh, to, to, the, to this entire football season. Uh, not sitting in as many press box, not working long hours before and after these games. Get to kind of watch them afar, provide our analysis unfiltered. Uh, analysis, yes. no, uh, you know, no, no restrictions on what we can say. No, we've maybe uh, ticked a few people off here and there, but hey, that's what you're getting here. You're getting uh, unique access. I, I don't think you're going to find a podcast anywhere else that has two former, you know, former university athletic department employees uh, who have as, as much experience and, and got to, you know, kind of really see the inner workings like like we did, and who are going to provide some beer talk as well. I mean, come on, absolutely. Come on. Hey, last thing before we go, this has kind of been floating around here today. Uh, wanted to get your take. Any any thought that there's some truth to the potential speculation that Braxton Miller may be looking to transfer to FSU this offseason. I, I know that Urban Meyer shot that down today, but uh, do you think that there may be more to that story than meets the eye? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Jim Henry from the Tallahassee Democrat, he put out a story, uh, I believe it was early, earlier this week or late last week, where he, he wasn't the first one to say it. It's been a rumor for a little while now because everybody kind of knows he's looking around because of, of their quarterback situation. But you know, Jim Henry, Jim Henry made a couple good points in there. And I don't think he was going off any inside knowledge. I think it just was kind of great, write the story, get the clicks, and, and, you know, there's a little bit of legs to this. Let's kind of build off of it. And, and then you kind of see, you know, in the last couple of days, it comes out that there's about 10 teams and, and, and the Braxton Miller potentially is looking at, Florida State's included. 
you know, this thing ultimately comes down to the fact that, one, James Winston's probably leaving, most likely. If he's not leaving, Braxton Miller's not coming to Florida State. Look, I mean, that's obviously the truth. So if, if James Winston leaves, you don't have a set-in-stone guy coming back. It's potentially appealing, you know, to a proven guy like him, a guy who could go and play right away with one season to go. You know, so it's appealing there. And then, two, the most important aspect is that Jimbo Fisher gets his quarterbacks millions of dollars. You know, yeah. he puts them in. The, he, whether or not they succeed at, at, after they leave his tutelage, that's a, a completely different story and, and, and a topic, you know, debate for another time. But he gets them paid. E.G. Manuel got paid. Christian Ponder got paid. Jamarcus Russell got paid. Matt Flynn got paid. You know, on and on and on. And and, and James Winston's about to get paid. So obviously, playing quarterback for Jimbo Fisher, if you got the size, you got the tools, it is going to put you in position to potentially be paid at the next level. So. Yeah, obviously, Florida State's an attractive option for him, and, and who knows? Maybe he does come to Florida State and, and replaces Jameis Winston. He has to come down and beat out, you know, Sean McGuire, of course, who's been in the offense, uh, and then also the fact that Florida State's bringing in three quarterbacks this year in this recruiting class is another story. And then you got JJ Cosentino, who was one of, you know, is a highly touted guy who Jim Fisher really likes and can really throw the football. So it's not like it's not like Braxton Miller can just walk right in and expect to play right away. He's got to come down and compete if he does. So we'll see. I think it's an interesting storyline and. Uh, I don't think it would hurt FSU to have a, a guy like that on the team. Obviously, he's a, he's a good leader, and he's a, he's a talented player. Whether or not he's a quarterback to the next level, probably not. Uh, but hey, maybe he wants to come play running back for FSU. You mentioned a bunch of guys that will never really have to worry about where their next paycheck's going to come from. But uh, one guy that you forgot to mention, who I think is probably still waiting for where his big payday was, was Xavier Lee. Fair? Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> maybe maybe he didn't that. spend enough time in the Jimbo Fisher system. Uh, no, you developed. know what? I, I read something. I read something with him. He, Xavier Lee has talked about that on record, how he basically said he was an idiot for not listening more to Jimbo and not following Jimbo's advice. Now he really butted heads with Jimbo Fisher and, you know, kind of was walking around like a big man when Jimbo came in. I'm Xavier Lee. I'm former five-star, this and that. It's kind of set in, it's set in now for Mr. Lee, who who's doing fine in life. He's, you know, I, you know, I, I know him, I know him to a degree. He, you know, he's fine. It all worked out for him. And, in the long run with what his, his plan in life is, is going to be. But who knows what could have happened had he really, truly embraced, uh, you know, being berated and being, you know, that that, that intense coaching style, Jimbo Fisher. It works. It gets these guys paid if uh, if you're willing to put in the work and, and, and time and effort. Didn't Jimbo serve it up to Lee as well to become an NFL tight end and even had some interviews with NFL clubs? I think the Baltimore Ravens were one of them. I mean, he did, yeah. every, he did everything he could to try and get this guy an NFL paycheck. It just, maybe it was wrong time. I mean, I've always said, you think about what Jimbo Fisher could have done with a guy like Chris Ricks. Oh, right. man. I mean, the sky's the limit for some of these, you know, quarterbacks that came through the program that just really didn't have any coaching until Jimbo got there. And then look what he's done. So we'll see. Tomorrow's the uh, the real proving ground. Florida State versus Oregon in the Rose Bowl. Winner goes on to the national championship game. You can follow our comments and analysis throughout the games tomorrow. You can follow Brandon at Brandon Meller on Twitter. You can follow me at Ryan Pensy. We hope you enjoy it. It's going to be a, a wondrous occasion, and then we will be back with you next week getting ready for what we've always hoped for. It was a true national championship. We've got four teams in the playoff. The best two are going to, going to fight it out and win tomorrow, and then they're going to get ready, go home, and prepare uh, for the biggest game out there. I hear tickets right now at face value are over $600 for the national championship game. And you're talking like Super Bowl prices at that point. So we'll be back with you to preview the national championship game. He's Brandon Meller. I'm Ryan Pincy. Appreciate the download and enjoy the football tomorrow. Have a good one.